that you would just bless this time in the study of your word once again. We ask that you would just open our hearts to you and what you want to say to us. And Lord, that you would just, um, Lord, draw us close to yourself as, as we open our hearts to you and to the written word. And Lord, as we see again your provision and as we see your goodness and we see a picture of your forgiveness. And Lord, that we would just marvel once again remembering what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we give you this time in the study of your word in Jesus' name. With it being the unofficial start of, of summer, perhaps some of you might be thinking, finally, summer is here. And I know some of the kids are thinking, finally, the school year is over. And I've even talked to some of the kids that are graduating that are thinking, man, I've waited for such a long time to graduate from high school or from college for this moment, this time to come. And there are those moments in our lives where, you know, we look forward to something. We, we um, you know, look forward to the day when, when an event will happen or a certain day will happen. It might be a wedding day. It, it might be uh, the day that you have your child. It, it might be something else that goes on. And when it comes, you, you say, finally, it's here. And what a wonderful, wonderful uh, day this is going to be. Well, can you imagine the children of Israel? They have been waiting for 400 years plus to be free from the bondage and the affliction of the Egyptians. And as we go into chapter 11 and 12 and into chapter 13, we're going to see that the final plague, first of all, the 10th plague is going to come upon Egypt and it's going to break Pharaoh to where he's going to release the people and they're going to finally be free from that bondage of, of uh, being in slavery and the bondage of Egypt and go out into the wilderness as God is going to tell them to go to the promised land. And so we see as we end at chapter 10, the ninth plague, darkness. And it was a darkness as we read in verse 21 of that chapter that was a darkness that was so dark that it could even be felt. And I don't know exactly what that means, but perhaps it's like if you've ever been in a cave and, and maybe the Cave of the Winds or another cave in a national park or something, and you go in and it's lit and they'll turn the lights off in that cave and it's just so black you can't even see your hands in front of your face. I think this was the darkness that they could feel. It was that dark. In the homes of the children of Israel, they could have light, but not in the Egyptians. And so they sat there in that darkness that could be felt. And as we talked about the world, uh, Egypt being a picture of the world, there's a lot of darkness. And people are feeling it. And they're feeling the bondage. And they're feeling the, the oppression. And, and they're feeling the captivity of the world and the, and the discouragement of the world. Well, there's going to be a message of hope given to the children of Israel tonight. And it's going to remind us of the message of hope that you and I have as Christians. And so the land now lays in ruins. The crops have been destroyed as they've gone through nine plagues. Here, the Egyptians, uh, the livestock is gone. And this last plague is going to be the death of the firstborn. As we read in chapter 11 of Exodus, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And so here we see that, that Moses is told once again by the Lord, Moses... It's been nine plagues, one more plague. And I don't think that Moses knew that there were going to be a total of ten plagues. He, as far as he was concerned, there could have been 12. There could have been 15. There could have been 20. Because the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, okay, one more. One more plague, and it's going to be the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And we saw back in chapter 4 when Moses first went to Pharaoh that the message was given to Pharaoh that Pharaoh... The Lord says, let my people go. And if you don't let my firstborn go, speaking of the nation of Israel, in other words, God was talking about relationship that he had with his people, the Hebrews, and he saw them as his firstborn. And Pharaoh, if you don't let my firstborn go, thus says the Lord, then I am going to put to death your firstborn. And so Pharaoh has been warned already as before the plagues even began. And we see that as the plagues came and there was the, the flies and the lice and the frogs and the Nile turned to blood, the darkness that we saw, the, the hailstorms and all of this, 
Pharaoh hardened his heart. He did not humble himself before the Lord. He did not um, come to the Lord uh, and repent. There was no softening of the heart. He continued to harden his heart. And we see here that the Lord says that one more plague, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Um, and, and we know that it would be this final plague, though, uh, as the Lord has been hardening the heart of Pharaoh, just confirming what he has done. It's going to break Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. Matter of fact, they're going to compel the children of Israel to go, get out, and they're going to have to go in haste. And so get ready, Moses. Get the people ready because it's going to happen very quickly. And what you're going to do is that the children of Israel are going to go to the Egyptians and they're going to ask for silver and gold, and they're going to give it to them because they're afraid that they're going to die as a nation. So this, this time in history, the Egyptians are at the peak of their prosperity. They have a lot of silver and gold. They're a very wealthy nation. And so it's almost like it's back wages of 400 years of, of slavery that they're going to get the silver and gold as the Egyptians are going to be plundered. But there's also a purpose for that silver and gold that we're going to see later on as we continue through the book of Exodus because they're going to build the tabernacle. And the silver and gold that they get from the Egyptians is going to be used in building of the tabernacle and the boards that are going to be overlaid with gold, the Ark of the Covenant, the other furnishings, that gold is going to be used in making those furnishings. And so um, the tabernacle with the furnishings going into the tabernacle are going to be used um, or made from the gold and the silver that they take from the land. But I noticed something this morning as I was preparing for um, this, and, and we're all familiar with, with, probably most of us are familiar with the story of the plagues coming down upon Egypt and in this final plague. And we're going to see in chapter 12, that before that final plague, that God is going to institute the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But, but as we look at this in verse 3, it caught my attention that I'd never really noticed before that Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Does that remind you of something? It, it clicked something with me, because remember the first 40 years of Moses, that he was raised in the palace of Pharaoh? And we talked briefly about that. Moses' life easily divided up in the three 40-year lifespans. The first 40 years, as we saw in chapter 2 of Exodus, that the, as the decree went out that all the male children uh, that were born to the children of Israel should be thrown into the Nile River and drown. And so as Pharaoh had seen this population explosion of the children of Israel, he was concerned. So he wanted to stop that population growth. And so it was Jochebed, Moses' mother, that saw that he was beautiful and hid him for three months, but realized she couldn't do that any longer. So she made a little ark and floated him down the Nile River. And it would be Pharaoh's daughter that found Moses, called him Moses, which means that name drawn out. He was drawn out of the Nile River. And so he would be raised in Pharaoh's uh, palace, in, in, in the, uh, the home of Pharaoh. And he, uh, as we know a little bit from Scripture during that time, was one that learned in all the wisdom and knowledge of Egypt, as the Scripture says. Acts chapter 7 tells us that he was mighty in deeds and in words. So he was great in Egypt at that time. He was well known in Egypt. Matter of fact, other historical accounts tell of Moses uh, before he would reject Pharaoh's uh, house in Egypt and go suffer affliction with his house, that he went out to battle for the Egyptians against the Ethiopians that were a threat to Egypt and almost overtook Egypt. So he was seen as great Again, as, as Stephen in his account of Acts chapter 7 says that it was Moses that was great in deeds and in words. And so he saw himself as the deliverer of the children of Israel. And then he killed the Egyptian and then he broke up a fight and it was found out he killed the Egyptian. So he fled to the wilderness, to the desert for 40 years where he's herding sheep. And God was humbling him and God was rewiring him and God was, was doing a work in Moses. 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses to where he could be used of God. The scripture says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. But it would be at the time, you recall, that God called Moses to go to Egypt and you're going to be used of me, Moses, to free the children of Israel 
out of Egypt. I've heard their cries. I see their affliction, and, and I know uh, what it is that they're going through. And so Moses went, and you recall that he was very hesitant. He always kept saying, who am I? I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. In other words, I don't speak well. Um, and, and he was just overwhelmed with Pharaoh and his greatness. And, of course, Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. So here comes Moses, and you can see the confidence of Moses, confidence in the Lord as he's speaking to Pharaoh and says, Thus says the Lord, let the children of Israel go, or this is going to happen. And Pharaoh was trying to trick Moses and compromise. And Moses was saying, You cannot, you know, trick God. And so here we see that Moses is great once again, isn't he? In verse 3, in the sight of the Egyptians and the servants. But it's a whole different story this time. I think that we all have decisions to make as Christians as we are in the world but not to be of the world. And you see, people sometimes, they want to be great as they are of the world and, and as they are ones that they, they love the world system and they belong to the world. And that was Moses before he left all of that. But you see, you and I can be great as, as people look at us, not great in the worldly sense, but great in God's eyes as you are used of the Lord, wherever the Lord might place you and whatever he might have you do. Do you understand? You see, it wasn't that Moses was exalting himself and, and, and was great. He was great because the people saw God using him. And, and, and they knew, as the Lord was saying, that these judgments are going to come, that they're going to know that I am the Lord. And Moses was pointing people to the, the God that claimed to be the Almighty God. And so he was great in that sense, just like you and I, as Jesus says, that we can be great in the kingdom of God as we become the least, as we become the servant of all. And I want to encourage you, because there can be such a pull in life today that I want to be seen by men, and I want to be praised by men, and I want to be exalted by men. And the Lord desires for us is to point people past us and to him, and that's where we're great in the sight of the Lord. So I think verse 3 here, even though they were looking, because Moses was you know, the instrument used to bring down these plagues, he was great in the eyes of the Lord because he had humbled himself was being used of the Lord. And the same thing can be said of you and me. Wherever the Lord has you placed, and, and whatever the Lord would have you to do, you humbly serve him, and you become a servant, just as Moses was a servant. And, and you just minister where God has you, and you'll be great in the kingdom. And so verse 4, then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the females, servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. And then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as what not like it before, nor shall be like it again. And verse 7, but again, none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, after that I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So just kind of recapping what has happened, that, that Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to do these wonders, his heart is going to be hardened, and he's not going to let the children of Israel go until this final plague, the tenth plague that we're going to see in the next chapter. There's going to be that final plague, the death of the firstborn. Now again, as we have seen these judgments, they were to declare that the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the children of Israel, that he is the true God, that they shall know that I am the Lord. And it was also to show that those Egyptian gods, which would include the Pharaoh, he saw himself as a deity, that he was nothing compared to God Almighty, the true and living God, that the gods that they had worshipped, and they worshipped many gods and many idols, that they were not a help to them that they were vain, that they were worthless. And uh, we know, as we've talked about it a bit, that um, you know, the gods of the frogs, the gods of the cattle, the gods of you know, the, the river, and all of that were not a help to Egypt. And so here we know that they would worship the goddess uh, Isis. And Isis was one that they believed 
would protect the children. And so now we're going to see that the firstborn is going to die in the households of the Egyptians. And there's going to be a great cry, as the scripture says here, as never heard before in Egypt. And so, again, Pharaoh had already been warned that this was going to happen, but he hardened his heart. So chapter 12, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, this is a very important chapter for us to consider. The reason that this is an important chapter for us to consider is that, again, this is going to be the plague that's going to cause Pharaoh to tell the children of Israel to go. No more compromise Pharaoh's going to come up with. You recall that Pharaoh would say, uh, go ahead and worship the Lord, but just do it in the land. Or go out into the wilderness, but don't go very far. And leave your children and leave your wives in Egypt. Don't take your cattle out into the wilderness and it was Moses final answer that he said to Pharaoh not one hoof is going to stay behind we're all going to go out into the wilderness all the, the wives the children all the men all of our animals not one hoof is going to be left behind but we're going to do as God desires for us to do and what he has called us to do and that is we are all going to leave Egypt and so we see that this is going to be this chapter, the plague, that Pharaoh is going to say, you know what, you need to go. And you need to go tonight. You need to go right now. And so this is what we'll see. But of course, we're going to see that as we look at this chapter, it's going to speak of, of the Passover that's going to be instituted. And we're going to see the details of the Passover. And the reason that it's important is because I think that chapter 12 of Exodus is one of the most beautiful, one of the most important portraits or pictures of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 5, that he told the religious leaders that you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. And as I've told you before, as we go through the Old Testament, we see that the Old Testament speaks of, gives a picture of, gives an illustration. It's a portrait of Jesus Christ. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. And I think that Exodus chapter 12 is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ. The provision of salvation as we are going to see the Passover lamb, the blood is going to be applied, and then the, the, the destroyer, the angel, is going to pass over them. And it speaks about how we, as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we don't experience eternal death. And so it's a very, very important and very beautiful picture of our salvation and God's provision of our salvation. So we really want to pay attention to this. And then we're going to see that, that in this chapter here that God is also communicating to us um, the need for salvation, for redemption and how he provides for that in the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. So this month shall be the beginning of months, verse 2 again, to be the first month of the year to you. So God, is, as he institutes the Passover, or is about ready to, what he is doing is he is instituting a new religious calendar. This is the beginning of months. And it was really, as you look at this, the beginning of the nation spiritually. He says, I'm going to redeem you from Egypt. And this is going to be a time of beginning, the beginning of months for you. And it's going to be at Passover, and then we're going to see it's going to be followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so that, that month, as we're going to see in chapter 13, is called Abib. It is later called Nisan, which means earlier start. So this is the beginning of, of your calendar. This is the beginning of your year. And, of course, as we come to Jesus Christ, as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives, it's a new beginning for us, isn't it? New beginning. And I know that I've said this, you know, lately, but I pray that we would never forget that when you and I come to Jesus Christ in faith, and understand that he is the Savior of the world, and we make him our Savior. And as we plead the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, and we receive salvation by faith, that it's a new beginning for us, isn't it? And we become a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things become new, as Paul would write to the Corinthian church. So Jesus is not just added to our old life. The old life is dead. Behold, all things become new. And so we see the, a new beginning in our lives, isn't it? A new way of thinking, a, a new way of, of believing, 
a new attitude that we have, a new song in our heart. It's a new way of living, isn't it? New beginnings as you and I come to Christ. And so this was the birth of the nation spiritually, this, this Passover that's going to be instituted. This is going to be the beginning uh, of, of your calendar. This was the beginning of the life spiritually for the children of Israel. And so we read in verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father a lamb for a household. And if the lamb is too small for the lamb, or the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So some instructions here concerning the Passover. What you're to do on the 10th of the month, you're to take a lamb according to families. Everybody was included. If the family was too small, then, then join in with your brethren, with your neighbor. But notice the progression here. In verse 3, you're to pick a lamb. Verse 4, the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb. You see, as we come to Jesus Christ, he is a lamb. In other words, we realize as we hear about Jesus that this is somebody special. This is somebody that's very unique as I begin to hear about Jesus and his ministry and his life and what he did for us. And then we go from a lamb to the lamb. We begin to understand that he is the Passover lamb that takes away my sin. That he is the one that claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That he is the one that claimed to be the door, the resurrection, and the life. So he is the Savior of the world. Not a Savior, but the Savior of the world. And so he becomes the lamb. And then as we invite him into our hearts, he becomes your lamb personally, doesn't he? He is your lamb. He's my lamb. He's my Savior. He is my Lord that has saved me from my sins. He has taken my sins away because of his blood shed on Calvary's cross. I receive him into my heart by faith. And so now he's my Lord. And that's what being a Christian is all about. It's just not saying, well, Jesus is a lamb or, you know, even that he is the lamb, but he's my lamb. He's my lamb personally, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is my Lord. He has provided for my salvation and for my forgiveness. And that's the progression that we have gone through in coming into salvation. And notice here in verse 5 that the lamb was to be without blemish. And so it was kept as it was picked from the 10th of the month to the 14th of the month. Now, why four days? Why was it picked on the 10th of the month? But it wouldn't be killed to the 14th of the month. Four days. The reason was, number one, so that they can inspect the lamb. They would inspect the lamb, they would watch the lamb and make sure that it didn't have any defects. And so they would pay careful attention to that lamb, watching it, making sure that it was without spot, without blemish, there was no defects in it. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, the 10th of Nisan. Nisan. He gets on a donkey. He rides down the Mount of Olives. He rides into Jerusalem with the people crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And for, for the next week, that next four days till Passover, they're inspecting him, aren't they? He's the perfect Lamb of God. God has already declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, as we saw in Matthew chapter 3. He had lived in perfect submission and obedience and in harmony to the Father. He was without spot or blemish, so they were inspecting him. The religious leaders would come and try to trick him and trap him and try to back him into a corner, try to ask him questions that they thought they would have him trap. Hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? They're at the temple there. And they thought, ha-ha, if he says, yes, pay taxes... The people are going to not like Jesus because they hated Rome and they hated the tax collectors and paying taxes to, to Rome. If he said, no, don't pay taxes to, to Caesar, then they would run down the street, get some Roman soldiers and say, hey, there's an insurrectionist here. He's telling the people to rebel, not pay their taxes. We got him. Should you pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he answered, he said, render to God the things that belong to God and the things that belong to Caesar. Pow, as he gives the coin back to Caesar. They couldn't trick, trip him up. They couldn't trap him. 
And it was Pontius Pilate as he questioned Jesus as they brought him the Pontius Pilate that he would declare publicly, this man I find no fault in. He is innocent. And it was even Judas who betrayed him, said, I betrayed innocent blood. So he was without spot or blemish. He passed the inspection. And so they would watch that lamb. But notice here in verse 6, the whole assembly would kill it. You know, it always interests me, when, particularly when the Passion movie came out a few years ago. There was all the debates, you know, talking about the movie. Who really killed Jesus? Was it the Romans because it was a Roman crucifixion? Or was it the Jews responsible for his death because they were the ones that handed him over to the Romans? And I thought, what a silly question. What a silly debate. The whole assembly shall kill it. It's you and I that are responsible for Jesus' death. Because we have sinned, all of us, and he died for your sins and my sins specifically. He died for you individually, personally. He died for because of his love for you. And because all of us have been affected by sin, and all of us, we need the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so we see that that was something that, that Jesus came to do, that was determined before the foundations of the world, that he would come and die for you and for me specifically and individually. The whole assembly... We're all responsible for Jesus' death because we're all sinners. But he came willingly and he came freely because of his love for you and because he was the only one that could provide salvation as we apply the blood of Jesus Christ. But also, for those four days, can you imagine as you pick the lamb? And they're kind of cute, you know? I can see Rachel, my, my 10-year-old, she really loves animals. And, and I can imagine, you know, if, if this was a situation, or any of the kids, you know, that, that we know that love animals, and there's a little baby rabbit in our backyard, and the kids were excited, or Rachel was excited about it and seeing it and how cute. But can you imagine a little lamb in the first year, watching it for four days, knowing that that lamb was going to die? That it was going to be put to death? And you see, as we get into the sacrifices in, in the Old Testament, as we get into Leviticus, Jesus is the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. That the perfect Lamb of God, our wonderful and beautiful Lord, that He died for you and for me, and it shows us the seriousness of sin. We live in a fallen creation. It's a fallen world. None of us are without spot or blemish. That we are ones that... We are sinners. We have flaws. We have blemishes. We live in a fallen creation. And the one perfect thing that was ever in this world was God's Son. And the sin that you and I committed cost God His Son. But again, He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, as we think about that He went to Calvary's cross for us, it should keep us in a proper perspective of sin. We should mourn over sin. We shouldn't just look at sin of, oh, well, it's no big deal. Boys will be boys. We all make mistakes. No. Sin is serious. And because of our sin and rebellion against God, it cost Him His Son. So for four days, they would realize that this lamb was going to die as they did the sacrifices because of their rebellion, that it was going to cost an innocent life. And so here, as we continue in verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel in the houses where they eat it. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 9, do not eat it raw, no, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire its head and its legs and its entrails, and you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And so we see here um, that what they were to do was they were to take the blood, they were to, to put it on the, the doorpost and the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall um, roast it with fire, not boil it, not eat it raw. Again, speaking of that when they did the sacrifices, as we're going to see the altar of, of sacrifice that's going to be out in the order, outer court of the tabernacle, that they would do the sacrifices with fire. 
fire speaking of judgment. And so it speaks of, of judgment. They were to eat uh, of bitter herbs. It spoke of uh, the bitterness of their bondage and bondage uh, of Egypt and, and the affliction of Egypt, how bitter it was. And, of course, it speaks to you and to me as Christians how sin is bitter. It's bitter. And it's bad news. And it's something that, that the Lord has freed us from. We're going to see as they were to eat of unleavened bread. We're going to talk more about it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so we see here that it is something that it speaks again of Jesus Christ. And you shall not let none of it remain until morning. And what remains until morning you shall burn with fire, verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In other words, get ready. Get ready to leave Egypt. You have your sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. Get your you know, belt around your waist. Be ready to go because they're going to have to go in haste and they're going to have to go with unleavened bread. Not enough time to have leaven in the bread um, because the, it takes time to rise. They have to go quickly. We're going to see the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's going to be instituted. Leaven speaks of sin in the Scripture. It speaks of evil. It was Paul the Apostle that wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, that, don't you know that a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole lump, it spreads, so perch out the old leaven. There was sin in the church. And what Paul was saying is get that leaven out. Get that sin out. We know that Jesus in Luke chapter 12 spoke of the leaven of the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy. Mark chapter 8 verse 15, the leaven of Herod, which was worldliness. Matthew chapter 13 verse 37. When we get to that chapter in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about the parables. And one of the parables is the parable of the leaven, speaking about how there's going to be that which is false and evil in the church over time when it grows. And so we see that leaven speaks of sin, of evil in the scriptures. But you are to go without and not eat unleavened or leavened bread. No leaven, as we're going to see. Uh, you're to go and get ready to go because you're going to leave very quickly. And it reminds me as I read verse 11 here that you and I are told to be watching, to be sober, to be vigilant because the Lord can come for us at any time. And I pray for you and for me here at Calvary Chapel that we wouldn't grow sleepy and lethargic spiritually because these are very interesting days in which we are living in. So we need to be ones, as we are told over and over again, you be watching, you be ready, you be sober, you be vigilant. You know, be watching. Be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return because the time is going to come, which it can come at, at any time that the Lord's going to take us out of Egypt. And besides, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. So each and every day live for him. You have your staff in your hand as you're serving him. Each and every day that the Lord gives to you. However long that we might have. Whether it's serving in practical ways. And as we've talked about in Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said when you pray, great will be your reward. If it's praying for people, we can all do that. We can serve the Lord and please the Lord with our lives, walking with Him. So you have those sandals on and you have that, that, that belt around your waist. You clothe yourself with the whole armor of God that you may do battle as we do spiritual battle and be able to resist the darts of the wicked one. And so it's something that reminds us that we need to be sober and vigilant, living for the Lord every single day. And verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on the night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Thus the term Passover, right? When the blood is applied, I'm going to pass over you, is what it says. And plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day sh shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now a couple things here. The blood applied to the doorpost and lintel, they said it would make the form of a cross. I will pass over when I see the blood, not just any blood, but the blood of the Lamb. And as we apply the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, into our lives by faith in Him and what He has done for us, then we don't experience eternal death. So it speaks of our salvation, doesn't it? The blood applied where we have forgiveness of sin. Speaking of that, it's not going to be by circumcision. It's not going to be by being good and good works. It's going to be by the blood. 
the blood of the Lamb, that we have forgiveness and salvation, faith in Him. The Passover was to be observed annually as a memorial to redeem, to remind them, that is, of the redeeming of God out of Egypt. Do you realize as you study the Old Testament that the Passover is mentioned only a few times in their history? And hundreds of years as they came into the promised land eventually, that it's only recorded a few times that they really observed Passover. For many of those times, they did not observe Passover. And the Lord says, and he's going to continue to say as we continue through chapter 12 and 13, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this as a memorial from generation to generation, remembering that I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you into the land. And that's something that we see that they did not do. And even Joshua, when he came into the promised land, Joshua was told by the Lord, as you cross the Jordan River, you're to set up 12 piles of stone representing the 12 tribes of Israel and how God has been faithful in bringing you into the promised land. But they didn't do that. You're to teach your children. When they ask you, why these stones? Why the Passover? Why the Feast of Unleavened Bread? It's, it's to remind them and to tell them the story how God has been faithful and has saved his people and redeemed them. But they didn't do it. They didn't do it, but only a few times. And when they were worshiping the idols and involved in that which was false, the Lord would come back and plead with the nation of Israel, the house of Judah, and he would say to them, Oh, don't you remember? Don't you remember how I brought you out of Egypt? How I drowned the Egyptian army? How I brought you into this land flowing with milk and honey? How I blessed you? Don't you remember how I saved you? You see, as Christians, we have a memorial, don't we? And that is communion. And Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. Remember, as you hold the bread, that this is my body, which was broken for you. And then as we hold the cup, this is the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant, that is the cup of the new covenant, in my blood, for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we hold those elements, remembering how Jesus went through the suffering for you and for me, how he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin, is to remember, and it brings us all together as one. And this is the basis and why we're here and why we're one body and why we have forgiveness and salvation is because of what Jesus did in being our Passover lamb. And so it's a good remembering. Come to the Lord's table. Do this in remembrance of me as we reflect upon God's provision and goodness and His love for you and for me. So that's why we partake of communion. But I think there's a broader application as well in our own lives that it's important that we look back, and that's why we're going to do the 12-year anniversary. Not just to, to have a barbecue, but to remember how good the Lord has been to us and how He's provided for us and the work that He's done. And, and we can just be thankful for that. I think it's important, again, as he's going to tell, you tell your children from generation to generation how I brought you out of Egypt. And the fathers would tell their children during Passover this. They would tell them during the feast and, and, and all of the, the things that they would do in remembrance of the goodness of the Lord, that we do that as well, telling our children and our grandchildren constantly what the Lord has done for us, what he means to us, how he's blessed our lives. We need to constantly be remembering him in that way and sharing that, not just with our children, but with others. And as you remember the goodness of the Lord and the provision of the Lord and how he loves us, then it strengthens our faith and keeps us close to him. And so this is what you're to do as you remember him. So verse 15, seven days, you shall <coughs> um, eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No matter of work shall be done on them, and that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. And verse 17, So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. 
In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. And for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, the same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So we see here that Passover was followed immediately on the 14th that evening until the 21st, seven days, called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were so closely linked together that most people saw it as one feast, but it's the Passover that would be celebrated and then immediately followed by a week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so there is to be no leaven that was to be eaten. And what you are to do is you're to go throughout your houses and take all the leaven out of your houses and don't eat it. Clear your homes of it. And so at Passover, what you see is Jews today or, or those who, who desire to do a Seder or Passover, that's one of the things that is mentioned, that the, the kids go throughout the house and make sure there's no leaven that's in the house. They clean out their cupboards and everything of anything that is leaven. Again, leaven speaks of sin. It speaks of evil. How about you and me in our own homes? What I mean by that, do we regularly go through our homes and make sure that there's nothing there that is unpleasing to the Lord? And what we watch, what we're listening to, and what we're hearing, in any of those things, is there anything in this house, leaven, Lord? Anything that we're looking at, anything that, that is in this house that is not pleasing to you, that is sin, that is leaven, that is evil, it needs to go. And I pray that we would be ones, that we would say that our home is going to be a home where we honor the Lord, the presence of the Lord, that the peace of the Lord is here in this home and he's a priority and he's spoken of in this home. That we desire to please him in our lives. And so the, the institution of the unleavened bread in verse 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. So we see that Moses is going to begin to tell the elders who are going to begin to tell all the children of Israel just what we read. And we see in verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. Hyssop is just a weed that would grow in rocky areas. Matter of fact, if you look at that picture of the western wall in the coffee shop and the weeds growing out of it, that's hyssop. And so they would take the hyssop and they would spread the blood of the lamb on the door. And so verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And I will come to pass when you come to the land, which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads in worship. And then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So a beautiful picture of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. A beautiful picture of how we are forgiven as we apply the blood of Jesus by faith in our hearts and receive Jesus, the Passover lamb, as our Lord and Savior. And so the plague... Uh, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, verse 29. As it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat in his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So this, this plague that came through, this uh, final plague, um, that struck all the Egyptians from Pharaoh's house to the least. And in this world, we have just talked about how good God is and how he's provided for us and how he loves us. Jesus went to the cross and demonstrated his love for us as he shed his blood. So we have forgiveness and salvation. But there will be judgment. And those who reject that and those of the world from the greatest to the least, there's going to be eternal death. 
as they reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, sometimes the world's mentality, and oftentimes, is, is that somebody's great, and look at the great works that they did, and all they did, you know, in the world, and, and somebody very famous, or somebody, you know, that was a king, or, or, you know, whatever it might be, a world leader, you know, we think that that's an automatic, or the world does, you know, entrance into heaven. This judgment would go from Pharaoh, who's the most powerful man on the face of the earth, to the least. And so, those who reject Jesus Christ, there's going to be that judgment that will come in eternal death. So verse 31, as we talk about the Exodus, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, where they said, We shall all um, be dead. And so they said, get out. Pharaoh released them that night without any restrictions. He urged the people to go. The people were saying, go before we all end up dying. So verse 34, the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. So 600,000 after the age of 20 males that they counted. So this is where they get the total number between 2 and 3 million, probably closer to the 3 million, because remember that when we started Exodus that they were populating exceedingly great at, at not a normal rate, but they were exploding in population. So 600,000 men from the age of 20 on, and then that, at least that number of women, you know, that's 1.2, and then all the children, you're, you're easily getting up 2 to 3 million people in totality that are leaving. Can you imagine it's like Pharaoh says, you guys all go. That's why it was, you know, commanded, get ready. Have a staff in hand and sandals on your feet and get ready to go and ask the Egyptians for the gold and silver and plunder them. And it happened like that. Can you imagine, it, uh, you know, getting all three million people ready to go in one night and the Egyptians in this great cry that's going on? It must have been just an awesome, awesome night. Can you imagine how awesome it's going to be when the rapture happens? And when we go even quicker? The cry of the world, the wonder of the world, when millions of Christians are gone, what an incredible day that's going to be. But notice here that not only was the children of Israel who were in slavery gone, but a mixed multitude would go with them. We're going to talk about this mixed multitude later on. They're going to be a real problem to the children of Israel. And the mixed multitude, some have said it's the Egyptians. I don't think it was so much the Egyptians. It says the Egyptians urged them to go. The mixed multitude was, and most scholars have suggested, and I think it makes sense, is that the children of Israel weren't the only slaves. They had conquered other peoples and nations, and so there was a smaller number of other slaves from other nations that were there. And so they saw it kind of like seeing the jail door open. And let's make a run for it, all right? They're leaving, and we're going to leave with them. It's better than staying here by ourselves now in slavery. So they're going to go with the children of Israel, and they're going to be a real headache to them as they're going to uh, be a problem to Moses, and we'll talk about that as we continue on. But we see here, um, verse 39, they baked unleavened cakes and doughs which they had brought out of Egypt, and it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor they had prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And so it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And this is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money. When you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. And a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat of it. So the Gentiles 
or the mixed multitude were not to eat of the Passover, just the, the people of God. It did not mean they could never eat of it, but they were to, to come and convert to Judaism. They were to be circumcised if they wanted to partake of Passover. And in one house it shall be eaten, verse 46, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. You know, verse 46 is actually a fulfillment of Jesus. The Passover lamb, you shall not break one of its bones. They did not break Jesus' bones when he was on the cross. You recall that it was the soldiers that came. They broke the bones of the thieves, one on the left and right. The reason they did that is because Passover's coming, sunset's coming. Crucifixion was a very slow death. It's, it's death by suffocation. And so the only way that they could keep from suffocating is push up on that nail in their legs and get a breath of air, and then they would slump back down, and then their, their lungs would be pinched off, and the air would be squeezed out of them. It was a very slow death. So the soldiers came up and took a big mallet and just busted the legs of those thieves so where they couldn't push up anymore, and it hastened their death. It was a very cruel way of death. When they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So the soldier took the spear and thrusted it up into his chest cavity, and out came blood and water, which is symbolic of, and what medical people will tell you, of, of a condition where his heart was ruptured. So he was already dead, so they didn't have to break his legs. Psalm 22, David's prophesying about Jesus' suffering, says that all my bones are out of joint, but they weren't broken. Now that would be very painful. You ever had one finger, you know, or shoulder or something out of joint? It's very painful. Can you imagine all your bones being out of joint? So this was a fulfillment that none of his bones were broken. And then as we finish, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for this beautiful picture of salvation and forgiveness, the Passover lamb here instituted and, and, and slain, speaking of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would always remember each and every day how Jesus died for us, how much he loves us. It would cause us to be sober and vigilant and to keep living for him every day, keep watching, and Lord, knowing that we are going to be taken out of Egypt and that we're going to be taken to heaven. And Lord, I pray that we would be ones, that Lord, that we would speak to others as we remember what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, as we are in this world, there can be affliction, there can be pain. But Lord, we thank you that you provided for us the Passover lamb, that he is our hope. And Lord, that he's our salvation. He is our strength. So Father, I thank you that we can remember these things. And so Lord, I pray that the leaven would be purged out of our hearts. And Lord, that we would just come as we continue the worship to just marvel at your goodness and and Lord, have hearts of gratitude for your provision and your love. We're just going to continue to worship for a few moments.